We continue the Shir in Nach. Continuing the story of Doniel, Taylor tells us that Doryavish, the king, this was during the time of Doniel and his friends, Doryavish appointed 120 officials to lead his government. He was a very powerful king, of course. He controlled most of the world after Nebuchadnezzar. He appointed 120 officials, and above them he had three super officials, three top officials. And of those three, Doniel was one of the three and the top one at the same time. Doniel was a sort of prime minister in his kingdom. Now, the fact that Doniel, a Jew, led the government with advice, naturally incurred the wrath and jealousy of the other ministers. As is very usual throughout history, you found that the Goyim are always jealous of the Jews, jealous of their superiority mentally, knowledge, wisdom. And so here too, naturally, the advisors of the king, the officials, were very jealous of Daniel, and they plotted to do away with him. Well, this history repeats itself very often. We find that throughout all these centuries, whenever there was a Jew, who had an official capacity in a non-Jewish kingdom, the other ministers or advisors would always seek to eliminate this Jew. It was no different then. So these officials began to plot, to plan ways of eliminating Daniel, and they decided that there was no way that they could think up a plan to <coughs> disprove his loyalty. It was impossible. So they thought further, planned further, and decided that knowing his purity, the extent of his religious feeling, there was one thing that would supersede his loyalty to the king, and that was his loyalty to Hashem. That for the sake of his religion, he would even rebel against the king. So, following this plan of action, they decided to work on the king by tricking the king into a test which Daniel would fail. They approached the king and told him, began to flatter him. They told him that it would be very fitting to ensure the loyalty of every one of his subjects. How to do that? To have an order, a decree issued where every member of the kingdom must show his loyalty to the king by actually praying to the king and none else, not even to any idols. For a period of 30 days, everyone must seek the king's kindness, his benign blessings. If they have any request at all, any prayers, it must be directed at the king only. So, this, of course, was agreed upon by the king. He was very happy to accept this ruling. He felt very honored to have every person in his kingdom come before him and pray to him. But the ministers also added a ruling to this in saying that the decree must also be issued that any person who during these 30 days prays in any other direction but to the king should be put to death by being thrown into a pit of hungry lions. This was an order which the king signed, sealed. It was sent out to all the corners of the kingdom, announced very carefully a 30-day period had begun. Everyone was notified of this. Of course, no one 
rebelled against the sorter. No one would like to be lion food. If anything, it was at least out of fear. So Neil, hearing about the sorter, felt that there was danger to his to himself spiritually. So he went into his home privately, closed the doors, opened the windows, and there he turned in the direction of Yerushalayim, direction of the ruins, the base of Mikdash, the holy temple, and three times a day, evening, morning, and afternoon, Neil would daven to Hashem, facing Yerushalayim, facing the Kisil Ma'adavi, the Mokka Mikdash, place of the holy temple, and with the windows open. The Gemara says that we learn from here two items. One, this means that why is it called Kaisel? The word Kaisel, Chafvav, tail. Tail is a mount. The base of Mikdash was built on a mount, Had Hamidiyah. So this tail, Chafvav, is Shem Havaya. The name of Hashem. The name of Hashem, the Shekhinah, rests on this mount, but it is Tail Shahakil Painanegov. This mount, where all Jews turn towards this mount, no matter where a Jew is in the world, whatever direction he is, he will face towards this one mount, the place of the base of Mikdash, for a good reason. Because of the fact that all Tfilos, the person would turn his back to this direction, his Tfilo would have to take a roundabout course, because Tfilos do not ascend directly to heaven in a vertical line. Tfilos all go horizontally to the Mokah Mikdash, then they turn upwards to the Shad HaShemayim, the gates of heaven, the gates of Tfilah, which are directly above the base of Mikdash. So certainly it's much easier, much shorter for a person to face there, to have his Tfilah go in a straight line to the Kaisel, and then up rather than to face in the opposite direction have the Tfilah curve around, because as we know in geometric axiom, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, not a curve. For that reason, too, we have the din, which stressed very often that when, a, when Jews build a shul, they should always be sure to place the Oran Kodesh, the Heichal, towards the direction of Eretz Yisrael, Yerushalayim. Here, for example, it's towards the east. East, southeast, slightly towards the south, direction of Yerushalayim. And when building a shul, it should be built in that manner where the Arun Kodesh is towards the east, southeast. If it is impossible, it's built to a side, either to north or to south, the person should stand facing the Arun Kodesh with his head inclined in the direction towards the east. It is wrong definitely to build a shul facing the west. There's no excuse for that. And if it is done, of course, then it's a Jew cannot stand with his body facing the Yerun condition. Of course, this creates a very serious problem. It is not nice to have Jews turn away from the Yerun Kodesh. That's why it cannot be, there's no condoning reason for having a shul built in the western direction. That's one thing we learn from here. Daniel turned to the direction of the Vesemiklash. But also the Kavim Psichon, Lady Gemara says, he opened the windows. Why so? 
This teaches us that a person should never daven in a room that is enclosed solidly without windows. He should have a window open, of course, means not that you have to open the window. If it's too cold, you'll catch a draft, leave the window closed. Open means where you can see through it. Open the window shade, open the blinds. Where you can see through to see what? What is a person supposed to see? After all, we know that there is a very strict compulsory law that when davening Shemona Esrei, a person must keep his eyes closed. There's no excuse for a person davening with his eyes open unless he's looking in the sitter. But to look outside during the time he's davening with having his eyes looking anywhere else but the sitter or having his eyes closed, the Gemara says that the sin is so serious that this person will have his eyes punished and not being able to see the Shekhinah afterwards and so on. The eyes meaning the Duchnius eyes, the eyes of the Neshama punished for that. So strict a law is this. So if that's the case, what do we need the window open for? What is he going to look at if he has a daven Shemonestri with his eyes closed? Or looking in the sitter if he doesn't know the Shemonestri by heart? The answer is that he must have the window open, that is, an opening to see the sky. Because, as Abenazal brings, that looking at the sky itself, though you cannot see anything, yet there is a segula, a special power, spiritual power by looking at the sky, making contact with your eyes in the sky, to inject into a person Yiddish Shemayim, fear of Hashem, emunah, an arousing of kavona. Looking at the sky can give a person more kavona to daven. So before you start davening, you look at the sky. During the davening, not during Shemona Esrei, you look at the sky to fill yourself with this emuna and Yiddish Shemayim. If there is no window or no opening in that room, where the sky cannot be seen, of course, then this item is lacking. And that is why there is a minig that when a shul is built, they build the shul with windows. Generally, the right way to build the shul is with 12 windows, corresponding to the 12 shvatim. Why so? Because a shul is a base hatfila, house of davening. We know, as the Zayde Kodesh says, that there are 12 gates of Tfilah in heaven. These 12 gates correspond to the 12 Shvatim. Since there are 12 gates in heaven, there should be parallel form of 12 openings in the shul below. This Mokha, this is the Mokha, this we learn from the story of Daniel, who went into his own home privately, davened there three times a day to Hashem. He was not phased by the threat that if caught, he'd be fed to the lions. Of course, the Officials of the king spied on Daniel, and they reported, it's the Musa, they reported this to the king and insisted that the king put Daniel to death for rebelling against him. The king felt very sad about this. He knew the thing was a lie. He realized now the whole thing was a trick to get at Daniel, but there was nothing he could do. No way. He could rescind this order. And so Daniel was brought before him. Daniel admitted the fact that he had davened to Hashem, and he was sentenced to be placed into the pit of lions that evening. Sentenced for the evening, the entire day the king spent in bending every effort to save Daniel from his fate. He could not succeed. He could not buck the trend that was in all of his officials. They were all against Daniel, all out for his blood. 
So finally, very sadly, the king took the nail. Together with the officials, they came to this pit. It was sort of a hole dug in the ground. And the nail was lowered into this pit of hungry lions. The officials made sure the lions were hungry. They were pacing to and fro. It was lowered into this pit. And then a big rock was placed on top of it to close this opening. On that rock, the king placed a lock, his royal lock. And he locked this with the king's seal. There was no way to open this except the king himself. The officials, too, placed their lock. The reason was, very simply, they did not trust each other. The officials were afraid the king might release the nail, so they placed their lock on it. The king was more afraid that the officials might not even leave it to the lions. If he left the nail, that they'd come to themselves and kill the nail by shooting arrows at him to be sure he died. And so, the king's motive in this case was to save Doniel. The question, of course, is how did the king expect to save Doniel if he's lowering him into a den of hungry lions? These were ferocious, man-eating lions. If ever there was a case of a criminal who was sentenced to death, he was fed to these lions. There was never a case where the lions rejected this human food. So why should the king have any qualms, any doubts about Daniel this time, and to lower him there and lock him in to be sure they would not get it. The answer is, Nosanzal brings that we find in the case of Reuven. Reuven, when the brothers plotted to kill Yosef HaTzadik, Reuven took him and saved Yosef HaTzadik. How did he save him? He lowered him into a pit there to be saved from his brothers. What was in that pit, the Gemara says? Nechoshim v'yakrabim. Nechoshim, poisonous snakes. That wasn't enough. Poisonous snakes are bad enough, but scorpions. Scorpions, Zayda Kodesh says, is much worse than a poisonous snake. A person is davening, the Gemara says, and a snake comes towards him. He's not allowed to move. You're davening Shemeshri, keep your feet together and don't budge. You see a poisonous snake come to you, disregard it, ignore it. Snake leave is not there. You hear a snake rattling? That's not for you. But the Gemara says, if you see a scorpion coming, we have one advice for you, and that is run. Run for the hills, because a scorpion is much worse than a snake. Isaiah Kodesh explains this Gemara and says, why is a scorpion worse than a snake? Because a snake stands for the Nochosh. Snake stands for the Sitrachos. Snake stands for the Satan. Nochosh, the Gimetria Satan. But that's called the Zohar. The male species is very dangerous, but not that bad. Akrab, the scorpion, is the female. That's much more poisonous and much less rachman, much less kindness in them. I get back to Ruvain. What did Ruvain do to Yezabat Sarek? He threw him into this pit of Nechoshman Akrab. And this, the Tatus says, Ruvain saved Yezabat Sarek. How did he save him by putting him into a pit of poisonous snakes? And what was his kavana? The answer is that Ruvain thought to himself, Yosef is a tzaddik. I know he's a tzaddik. I have a moon in a tzaddik. I know that a tzaddik could face these poisonous snakes. And his zechus could be so great that his zechus will overpower the poison, the danger, the sakona of these snakes. That is possible. That I believe. But his zechus is not enough to combat the evil in his brothers. Why? Because a snake 
Now again, the Yerushalmi says, If a snake bites a person, don't think this was an accident. Don't think it happened because the person was careless, because the snake was just there. It cannot ever happen that a snake will bite a person, that a snake will kill a person, unless this snake was ordered from heaven to attack this explicit person. And if he was ordered to attack this person, he will attack no other one. So unless the snake has this person's name on his list, that person is safe. In this case, too, the, the Choshim, if they were intended to kill Yesev at Sadiq, then it will be a matter of the decree issued to them from heaven. Yesev at Sadiq was a Sadiq who could be Mevatel Exeda. There was Exeda in heaven, a decree. Sadiq is big enough, great enough to make void, to nullify a heavenly decree. That is possible. But there is something more powerful than a heavenly decree. Kaviyocho, heaven has no power over a human being's free choice. Hashem created the world, gave us a teda, gave us mitzvahs. Hashem is the king of kings. The teda are the commands of Hashem. Can you imagine that an infinitesimal being, an ordinary human who is nothing in this whole complex universe, yet this tiny nothing, this human being, is given the privilege, the ability, the power to rebel against his creator. The person does not want to obey Hashem's command. He has the power to do so. No power in heaven can force him to. Of course, there is eventual punishment for it. But at the time, the person has a free choice to actually go against Hashem if he wants to. Fool that he is if he does so, but he does have that power. So in this case, Reuben figured that these brothers, if they wanted to kill Yosef at Sadiq, all his achus would not be enough to overcome them because heaven could not help him. It could not help him because it means that heaven would stop their free choice if it did. Therefore, he felt that Yosef at Sadiq was much safer in the den, the pit of snakes and scorpions, rather than to face his brothers who were Ba'alei Bechida, people of free choice. This was the logic used by the king. King figured, I would rather lock Donio into this pit of lions where he'd have to face only hungry lions. But these hungry lions have a name and address. These hungry lions have an order from heaven. They are controlled from above. The order from heaven tells these lions to attack or to desist. But if he left it up to these officials, <coughs> these humans, they have no power from above to stop them. They are B'nai Bechila, they have free choice, and so it will be a much greater danger for Daniel to face these individuals than the lions. And so very sadly, the king placed Daniel into this pit. He locked it, and that night, the king remained awake all night, fasted all night, did not sleep, hoping and praying that Daniel, his friend, would be saved by some miracle. The next morning, not having slept all night, the king went with his officials following behind him. Very sadly, he unlocked, he saw that the seal he had put there was still in good condition. He broke the seal, they moved the lock and the stone. In a very sad voice, he called out, Doniel, are you still there? Did your Hashem save you? Let me hear your voice. He heard a very clear voice, a resounding voice. Daniel answered, Your Majesty, you live forever. 
I am here, in good health. He walked forward. The king looked at him. He was overjoyed. And he said, what happened? How were you there? This wasn't a question of a few minutes. All night, with these hungry lions, how do these lions fast? What stopped the lions from attacking you? Anil said, an angel came from heaven and closed the mouths of the lions. The angel was sent to close their mouths. Not physically, of course. Their mouths are quite open. But it closed their mouths as far as I was concerned. They did not attack me at all. In addition, Daniel said, there was no fasting here tonight. The lions fasted. The king fasted. We didn't fast. The king asked, who was we? You were there alone. He said, I was not there alone. I had a lot of company. I had the Navi Chavakuk who came to join me. The Navi Chavakuk is one of the Teosa, who the Zayda Kodesh says, he was a child. Chavakuk was the child that was that died and was brought back to life by Elisha Hanavi. Therefore he is called Chavakuk, coming from the word Chibuk. Chibuk means once when his mother hugged him, Chavakuk twice when Elisha hugged him, Elisha Hanavi, and thereby said the tefillah over him and brought him back to life. This was done through, of course, the power of Gevuda. Chiyas HaMesim, the Gemara says, is Gevudais, Gevudais, or Gevuda, Chavakuk Gevuda. Why was Chavakuk chosen? For two reasons. Was Chavakuk the symbol of life, Chiyas HaMesim, therefore he came to join me in this evening stay, Gevuda Begimatria Aryeh, so it's fitting the Chavakuk should be here while the Arya is a lion, while the lions were being overpowered. And he stayed with me. We feasted here. We ate. We sang. We had a regular Sheva Brachas here. It was a pleasure tonight. Till finally, the Malach, the angel who transported Chavakuk and his friends here, took them back this morning before you came. How they got in? Walls don't stop. Came in though, and the lions did not touch any of us. The king was very happy, and he said to his officials, I presume, of course, that you figure there's some trick. These lions are overfed. I'm going to prove that they are not. In fact, they're extremely hungry. So we'll have every one of the officials and their families to satisfy, to satiate the hunger of these Four lions who had a fast until now. All the officials who had voted against the Neo, that was quite a crowd, very satisfying meal for the lions. Fortunately, they don't follow the dietary laws. <laughs> so these officials were fed to these lions, and in this way, the Neo's enemies were eliminated. Following that, the king sent out a note to all of his kingdom in which he wrote, let it be known and recognize Hashem Melech, Hashem is king, and to Hashem belongs the kingdom, the ruling power over the world. It was this Kiddush Hashem that Daniel brought about throughout all his experiences with the kings of Babel. And here was a, again a time when the fact that Hashem is king was sent to the entire kingdom, yeah, with all these notices, we find that after a while it wears off and a new evil arises. You cannot press the satan down for too long. The only way the satan can be eliminated is when finally Hashem himself, Bilah HaMovis, that's how Hashem himself will shecht 
they sotal the samach mem will remove the evil, the poison from the samach mem and will leave only the last two letters, kale. That time is yet to come. That's what the whole story of Daniel is based upon. Daniel is the sefer that is known, the one sefer that deals with the secret of the coming of Mashiach. Future chapters will deal with that. Now, to go a little bit deeper into one part of the story, one item, Nassau writes in detail about the fact that all the suffering that a person has, why does a person suffer? If he doesn't have money, if he has bad health, or if he has pain, he suffers only because of a lack of what? Not money or health, but a lack of seichel, a lack of das, a lack of sense, common sense and wisdom. A person would realize, stop and realize fully that everything that happens is pure hashkocha. Every little item that happens, at least movement in his life, that affects his life, is because Hashem himself, Kaviyocho, watches over him and directs this action to happen. A person would never feel badly about anything, because he would say, for example, Hashem wants me to have a cold today, Hashem wants me to be ill, or Hashem wants me to lose money today. This is the will of Hashem. If this is what Hashem wants, I'm very happy. I'd much rather, in a sense, I'd much rather have this little illness which Hashem wants rather than have health when Hashem doesn't want. A person would realize this, would stop to think of this, and he would never suffer because of any things that go against his grain. On the contrary, if a person does not believe in Hashkocha, he believes only in so-called nature, so-called coincidence, that nature directs this to happen. By nature, it happens that a person goes out in the cold, gets, catches a cold. By nature, he gets older, he contacts diseases. Or by nature, if there is a plague, a disease that strikes. And of course, statistics show that a certain percentage get this. And it's a matter of nature or a matter of luck that these people were struck by this disease. This, of course, is 100% kfina, atheism, lack of faith, because, as we know, there is no such thing as nature per se. What is nature? If we call nature the sun shining every day, if we call nature that rain makes food, vegetation grow, and that nature is still an act of Hashem, still supervised by Hashem, because the word for nature in Hebrew is hateva, Teva, the nature, Teva, Begimatli, numerically, like Kim. Teva, this nature is Hashem. What is nature? The fact that the sun shines is only because Hashem wants the sun to shine. If not, the sun is hidden, there is rain. If the Weather Bureau says rain today, we know Hashem wants the sun to shine, and the sun will shine. But always, whatever happens is because of the direct intervention, direct will and command of Hashem. This is the difference between Teva and Hashkocha. Hashkocha Protius, the will of Hashem that a certain thing should happen. And yet, yet there is a thing called Ness. Teva, Ness. Nature, nature is that the rivers flow smoothly, the waters flow. Ness, the waters are suddenly divided. Miracle happens, the waters are divided. The Jews go through, the Egyptians drown, and that is a ness against nature. Now this too is an act of Hashem. If the waters flow because Hashem wants these waters to flow at that second, and the waters divide because Hashem wants the waters to divide, what is the difference between ness and teva, between nature and counter-nature, between nature and miracle? 
The answer is that in essence and effect there is no difference. Both are the act of Hashem. But to a person, to people, one is remarkable because he does not see this happen. And this could happen only to a person who is zechet to affect kaviyachal, affect a change in the will of Hashem. <coughs> Hashem created the world that there should be evening and morning, darkness and light. And this is what Hashem wants, that's why it is so. Hashem wants this daily. A tzaddik could pray that there should be constant light. Yeshua could say, Shemesh begivayin doim. Yeshua tzaddik can affect the change, the change meaning that Hashem should want, not a shini herotzen chazashon, Hashem's will is one, but can affect that Hashem should want, that, should agree to that with which tzaddik wants. But still this is an act which only a tzaddik can affect to a regular person, it is strange to see unless because he cannot accomplish this. Now, how would a person go about performing miracles? This is in a deeper sense, a very delicate point. Nusselzal brings out this point, explains it, enlightens us on this, in saying that if we would classify nature as something that is standard, Hashem created the world that there be 24 hours, day and night, and this is regular. So we could actually foresee what is going to happen, but still, because that is what Hashem wants. Now, for example, Hashem wants, Hashem created the world, that there are different types of animals. There are some that are domestic, tame. There are some that are wild. It is their so-called nature that these animals will attack human beings. It is the nature of a lion that he will attack a human. This is the Teva of the lion. And what is this Teva? Since Teva is the Kim, it is still Hashem. It's still a command governed by Hashem. The Gemara says that you have vegetation growing. A blade of grass grows from the ground. It does not grow by itself. There is a Malach in heaven by Hashem. Malachim are called B'nai Kim. This Malach strikes the grass and orders it to move upwards to grow. Every blade of grass is a malach telling it, Gadel, grow. So too, everything that happens, so-called nature, that the lion roars, but the lion attacks, is because there is an angel above who controls this, the angel being the will of Hashem that controls this lion, and makes him perform these acts. Now, if a person can reach that status where he has gained so much knowledge, whether it is the Sefi Yitzida, Book of Creation, or Kabbalah, secrets of Torah, or purity. We can learn the secrets of this nature. Not the nature that a lion will roar, but what causes the lion to roar. We'll reach the point of where this angel that makes this lion roar or attack a human. He'll go above this malach, the madrega that Sadiqim reached, it's above the angels, and this human will be able to control the act of this lion, because he now has control over the angel. He has the knowledge of the source, the origin of this nature, and now he can control this lion's roar. This, as Nassau says, is the union of a tzaddik reaching the mokka, the shaydish of teva, the origin of nature, which means the power that controls from above things which we would call normal. And this was the power of Doniel tzaddik, because Doniel tzaddik had reached this point of kedusha. He had perfected himself to such a degree of purity of Kedusha and Tara. He became so great at Sadiq that he was above these Malachim who ruled over these lions. 
Therefore, when he came to this lion's den, he was able to, to direct this angel to close the mouths of the lions. That is how he was saved, because he had the knowledge of the origin of Teva. He knew which angel to approach, which angel to direct, and this was the reason for his being saved. And this, as I'll mention, by the way, of course, a very dangerous point, because Rabbeinazal brings this in the Sefer Hamidus. The fact that there is a so-called Teva above living beings, the person who can understand this Teva could control these items of nature. There are some people, Rabbeinazal says, who dared to accuse Chassashon, to repeat this, the Benazal is speaking about nature or philosophy, Chassashon. The Benazal says that those who say this should deserve to have their mouths closed permanently, speaking against the Tzadik Emes, because the Benazal's forum are all filled with extreme, extreme drive against the philosophy, against those things that attempt to disprove Hashkocha. Benazal's words throughout all his writings are made to strengthen Amuna Pshuta in a Jew. This is the main teaching of Rabbeinazal. This what Nasazal says proves in these words to show the Kavona, the intent of Rabbeinazal in saying this was against the Chachmei HaTeva so-called scientists and philosophers who deal with the study of nature, those are the ones that the Benazal is opposed to completely, the heart and soul. And it is that that the Benazal writes all this for, for the sake of strengthening within us the true emunah. And that is why you will find that most of the writings of the Benazal too, writings in the Kutte Halachas, all volumes, are all for Shulchanaras, and the Kutte Tfilis, Big Sefer of Tefillahs, Rav Nassau writes on the Kutte Manan, the Tefillahs, the prayers that a person should say each day. Tefillahs for what? To be zechah, to fulfill the teachings of Rabbi Nassau. And these Tefillahs you will find, the vast majority of them deal with Emuna. We actually daven to Hashem, Hashem, we pray to you, help us, strengthen us to have more Emuna, more faith in you. Uh, since we said before that a person is given free choice, Free choice means you can do as you please, believe or do not believe, then how can you ask Hashem to help you if we said that heaven cannot help you or deter you to stop you? The answer is that this is what's meant as free choice. We discussed this a number of times before, but it needs much more strengthening within us because nowadays especially there is a tremendous tidal wave by many factions, even among the Jews, even among religious ones, that keep falling victim to this opposition that opposes true and simple faith. The ones who are called mechakim, they like to delve deeply into philosophy and psychology, studies that are against the, the true meaning of pshuta, simple faith. And this has to be stressed very much, especially now when this Title: The wave of Abikursus and Kvita is covering and engulfing the world. Benazal warned about this. There'll come a time, he said, before Mashiach's coming, when it'll be so difficult for a Jew to retain, to keep his pure faith, that even the good ones, even the religious ones, the leaders, 
they fall victim to this wave, this tidal wave. How can we remain strong? The answer, of course, is in two ways. The first point is that we must accept the order that forbids us to read those books that deal with philosophy, those books that deal with other types of faith, or those books that deal with questions about Hashem or questions against faith. A person should keep his mind pure, clear, and not to say, as these enlightened people say, you have to read, you have to know the other side, you have to be able to know what to answer them, and so on. The answer is you don't have to. You don't have to jeopardize yourself, to endanger yourself. And if you say this proves that you're weak, the answer is fine. If we know we are weak, then we've got to say to a person who's weak, he doesn't take on a battle against the giant. If we are weak, we want to remain healthy, and the main health is to remain pure in faith. So we should be guided by the statement in the Gemara. The Gemara says that if you are attacked by people who are strong, in a sense, and they say to you, go out, study the ways of the world, become enlightened, learn the knowledge of others, and don't be a simpleton, don't be a fool who accepts faith blindly. The answer the Gemara says itself, or itself one that should be. Say, reply to these people, if I am called a fool for my faith, for being one who believes simply, implicitly, then I would much rather be called that fool all my life. I'd go through my entire lifetime being called a fool. I prefer that rather than being a wise person who eventually comes before Hashem in judgment and is called a Russia, a wicked disbelief. One moment. I'd rather avoid that one moment of being called a Russia before Hashem and suffer being called a fool who believes, a blind fool who believes all his lifetime. And that too is not that easy. It's not that simple to be a blind fool because a person cannot just close his eyes and say, I believe and finished. The attacks are endless. Going out in the street, speaking to people, reading things, doing things, you'll find that there's a constant barrage and attack against faith. Uh, a Jew must strengthen himself constantly, and that is the second rule where that is possible by continuing the study of Teda. Because the Teda itself is the greatest defense against these attacks against the Muna. So a person is required to continue the study of Teda day and night, and couple Teda with Tefillah. Learn Teda, Davin Hashem, to be saved from this tidal wave, to remain loyal and true in his faith to Hashem, and to go through his entire life in that manner. Be pure a Yehudi Hamamin. And he's a chus of emuna only. And he's a chus of this pure, simple emuna Hashem. Only that way can the Jews finally merit and deserve seeing the coming of Mashiach, the return of all Jews to Israel, the rebuilding of the Beis Hamikdash, the Yeshua Kolius for the entire Kol Yisrael, and the eradication, the wiping out of all these Sunni Yisrael throughout the world. This we should see very shortly with our eyes. Amen. Amen.